0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the following message. All right, good morning. How are we this morning? You doing all right? Yeah, that ought to got your blood flowing on this cold, looking to Christmas morning. How about that? It's cold outside. You know, I was telling somebody this morning, we were kind of joking, I said, you know, Christmas is just not the same when it's like 75 and muggy. You know what I mean? So we might get lucky and just maybe it might be cold on Christmas and it might feel like Christmas this year, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. Um, And reason being is because we're going to continue our series this morning as we uh, prepare our hearts for Christmas. So if you have a Bible, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in Micah 5. How about that? We're going to be in Micah chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you're worshiping online with us, we want to say thank you for joining us. We so appreciate you. For all of our guests, thank you for being here. By the way, last week, was that not awesome or what? Yeah. I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but we had over 1,200 people in this room. We're thankful the fire marshal didn't show up. Uh, Man, that was a powerful morning, so worshipful. So thank you so much for all of you who participated in that, all the hard work. There was certainly a ton of hard work that went into that. Last week was awesome. As a matter of fact, that was a record. We've never had that many people in a service before in our hundred and almost 70 years at First Baptist Belton, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, Micah chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to begin in verse 1. Go ahead and read along with me. Now muster up your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up into the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Notice this in verse 4. And he shall stand and he'll shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be called great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for The coming of Jesus, as we're going to talk about this morning, Lord, thank you all those many years ago that you prophesied a day that was to come, that Father, our Savior, who we now know as Jesus, would come to this earth, he would give his life for us, that all who say yes to him might find life in his name. Father, there is no other king like this king. Father, I pray for fertile soil in our hearts, Lord, that you have cultivated our hearts, that you have made our hearts ready to hear what you would have for us to say this morning. Lord, I pray that you would make room in our hearts for you. In days, specifically around Christmas, when everything seems crazy, Lord, I just pray that even for this moment, Lord, you would just calm our hearts, calm our minds. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to look to you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, let me ask you this. Here's how we're going to begin. Quick question How many of you could say that you've had a time in your life where you would just say that season of life was just characterized by chaos? Have any of you had toddlers? Raise your hand. All right. Absolutely right there's I think every one of us can relate to that to some degree uh, or another right that there's just been times in our life where you would just describe you would chalk that season up to man it was just pure, pure chaos you know we, we've had that certainly in our lives and, and I think I don't know what it is about Christmas season but for whatever reason Christmas seems to bring even more chaos to my life. You know, as I was driving home from the church on Friday, actually it was Thursday, um, I I was thinking to myself, why is it that everybody seems so much more angry around Christmas? Everybody drives a little bit faster, a little bit more aggressive, might be signs that probably wouldn't want to admit that you did during this season, right? As you cut somebody off in traffic, it's like, it's just pure chaos. Like everybody goes crazy around this time of year. Well, in this particular point in history, Israel's history, they're experiencing a level of chaos that, quite frankly, is unprecedented for them. In many ways, Israel is experiencing one of the most economically prosperous times in their his- history, but at the same time, one of the most chaotic times in their history. In fact, this is kind of a fun fact for you, okay? So if you're ever in a trivia, trivia game, here's, I'm gonna give you a, a pretty cool one here. Uh, in this time, five, around 586 BC, this is kind of cool, uh, is when the first Olympic, uh, world, uh, Olympic Games was, was actually played. It's kind of cool, right? It wasn't necessarily the Olympic Games, but it was the first time that anything like the Olympic Games was played. It was a prosperous time. It was a great time. People came together, the world came together to have an Olympic Games, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And so while uh, this is certainly true that it's a prosperous time, history would show us that during the prosperous times are typically when we leave the door open for a downfall. They had everything that they could ever want, and because of that, they had fallen into a complacency that led them to two major things in their world. Number one was political unrest. The second thing was social unrest. The religious landscape was in complete chaos. In fact, in Micah chapters one through four, Micah does a great job uh, helping us see what was going on in the life and times of Israel. Israel has fallen into idolatry. They're worshiping lesser things than God himself. They stumbled into coveting their neighbor's property, even to the point of robbing them of what is theirs, robbing their neighbors of their homes. They were doing, it was so bad that they were literally putting women and children out on the street and taking their homes. That's how bad it had gotten in Israel. The prophets of God had become gluttons. They're no longer speaking on behalf of God, but only themselves. They're no longer serving the Lord, but are accepting money and bribes. It was rough days, In Israel, the people are withholding sacrifices that belong to the Lord and thereby thereby robbing him of the worship that is due his name. When it comes to business, their businessmen and women are dealing so shrewdly, doing anything they can to gain just an extra buck. As a matter of fact, the motto of Israel became, you'll see that in chapter three, verse 11, you'll see what their motto became. It was, is not the Lord in the midst of us Well, no disaster shall come upon us. We have God. He's got our backs. We can do whatever it is that we want. It's where Israel had found themselves. They had everything. And yet they had presumed upon the kindness of God. They had forgotten that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And here's where it got them. Point number one. Here's where it got them. God gives them over to their own destruction. God gives them over to their own destruction. In verse one, Micah proclaims, Now muster up your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Things had gotten so bad in Israel that God gave word to Micah that he was getting ready to literally give them over to their own destruction. If this is what you want, God says, okay, I'll just... I'll give you over to, to exactly what you want. I'll give you over to your destruction. They had become so entangled with the culture and so spiritually complacent and materialistically motivated that they had no more room in their hearts for God. They had everything that they needed. Why would they need God? Why would they need God? And yet, as history unfolds, this, here's what happens. Verse 1 is most likely referring to the Babylonian invasion where the nation of Israel is swept. They're taken into captivity in 586 BC. During that invasion, King Zedekiah at the time was taken into captivity, and as tradition tells us, uh, he was hit so hard in the face and the cheek that he literally went blind for the rest of his life. What most scholars say about that particular event is that it was a point that the Babylonian kingdom was making a point that your most powerful leader is powerless. That there's nothing that you can do. There's no rescue. There's no hope for you, which leads us to point number two. That God offers hope in what seems like a hopeless situation. Anybody in a hopeless situation this morning? What God promised Israel is the same promise that he has for you this morning is that even when it seems like your life might be hopeless, God ushers in hope. In verse one, Micah proclaims, or I'm sorry, in uh, verse two, Micah says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, it'll be from you, It'll be from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from ancient of days. See, despite the great superpower known as the Babylonians, God reinstates his covenant of salvation. Here's what God's doing. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about that Genesis chapter three, verse 15 covenant that God makes with Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve take a bite into the apple Right There's this moment where they act on their distrust of God, trusting of, distrusting of his goodness. They take a bite of the apple, believing that there's something better, something more outside of God. And, and just after the fall, God comes to them. He sacrifices an animal, sheds its blood, takes its, it, it, its fur and clothes their shame, clothes their unrighteousness. And he makes this promise. He says, hey, there's a day coming where I'm going to put an end to the sin and shame on this earth. I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to put an end to the enemy, and I'm going to put an end to all things, and I'm going to make all things new. And so right here in Micah chapter 5 is God reinstating this very promise that there's a day coming where I'm going to restore that broken relationship with me. But what is interesting about this is that God is forecasting Sure, this king who's going to come, but, but where is he coming from? Well, Micah 5 tells us that he's going to come from the sleepy, insignificant town of Bethlehem. Of Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. This town that, well, why would a king come from Bethlehem? And, and even if he does, a king from Bethlehem, what's he going to do? How is he gonna be the one to put an end to this? And, and so you might have a picture this, right? Here they are, they're, they're getting ready to go into exile and, and having to go under captivity underneath uh, the Babylonian empire. And so yes, uh, there's a forecast of this, of, this, of this moment, this is coming, and yet at the same time, he says, hey, but, but there's a king coming. There's a mighty warrior who's gonna come from this sleepy, insignificant town of Bethlehem. Now I was thinking about like, how, how, how could we Get our heads around that How could we relate to that and Here's the best analogy that I could come up with Let's say God you know, Raised up a, a prophet And this prophet particularly had, had a message for us and, and said hey listen Here's the deal because of your sin Because of, uh, of your idolatry Because of all of these things Here's what I'm going to do China is going to come into the United States And, and they're going to take you into captivity And you're going to have to live under the communist empire of China But Here's the good news. There's a king coming. And that king is gonna come from Crane, Texas. <laughs> Anybody know where Crane, Texas is? <laughs> exactly. Right, this is kind of the picture that you get. I mean, if they, to help you get an idea of, of what is happening here, they're going, Bethlehem? What good comes out of Bethlehem and yet if you were to take a thousand foot view of the biblical narrative of the biblical story we're reminded of what Paul writes and to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter one verses 27 through 29 he, he reminds them he says but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise he chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong God even chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are and hear this So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When all seemed hopeless, God is working behind the scenes to bring hope in the ashes of their circumstances. But the beauty of it all is, is that he's going to do it in a way that no one else gets the glory. Nobody else will get the glory from this coming king Which leads us to point number three, that God directs their eyes away from destruction and onto deliverance. So God gives them up over to their destruction. He provides them hope in the midst of their hopeless situation, but then also God directs their eyes away from their destruction and onto their deliverance. You'll see that in verse three. Micah says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. There are two implications of this statement. On the one end, Micah tells them that they're about to be given over to their destruction. Live in exile for an unspecified time. So that's the truth of the matter, right? You're going to go into exile. The Babylonian army is going to come through. They're going to invade you. This is true, and it's going to happen for an unspecified period of time. Super exciting. Super encouraging, right? (laughs) Right? On the other end, however, is the promise that while they're in exile, their time in exile will be temporary. It won't last forever. It will be temporary for a time is coming when their king will be born and all of God's people will be gathered together under his reign and his rule. And so, yes, while destruction is coming, take heart for it is only temporary. It's only temporary. And then in verse four, it kind of gives us some expectations of what we ought to expect from this coming king. In verse four, it says, and he shall stand and he'll shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. It's important. They shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of The earth. Here, Micah switches gears from exile to coming king. He moves our eyes away from our circumstances to this coming king. Micah says that he will take his stand as his rightful king. You imagine this big, powerful warrior taking his stand, his reign, and his rule under true and and powerful authority. And under his authority, he will shepherd his people means that he's going to feed them. He's going to protect them. And he's going to care for them. Not under any human authority, but under the authority of the God of the universe, Yahweh. He's going to stand under his authority. He's going to shepherd his flock. He's going to care for them. He's going to protect them. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that from the moment that Adam and Eve took that step of distrust, They took that bite of the apple. From that moment on, Satan had self-proclaimed himself to be king. Satan took it upon himself to crown him as king. And from that moment on, the perfect harmony of the world was shattered and only chaos Remains. You feel that brokenness. You feel that chaos even today. And so while, may, while Satan may have thought that he won, God has another plan to bring about a new salvation, a new king from the line of David, who would be born in Bethlehem, who would one day take his stand, sit on his throne, and reign and rule under the power and the authority of God alone. You know, this is something really important for Israel to this point, Israel had never really experienced peace or security like Micah is proclaiming here today. So this has fallen on fresh ears. I mean, think about it. Even the moment, yes, yeah, sure, they, they received the promises, Abraham received the promise of, of land and offspring and an inheritance. But even at this point in history, they had still not experienced that, right? Even if you track in the book of Joshua, as they enter into the land, what did they find? That the promise was there in part. But there were people in the land. And then from there on out, they do nothing but fight and wage war against their enemies. They had never experienced true security from the moment that Adam and Eve took a bite into that apple. There is no peace. There is no true security. Certainly no lasting peace or security on this earth. They had not experienced that. And so yet, here is God, through Micah, prophesying a deliverer who's going to come to the world and offer them true security from their external enemies and a life of rest and peace. You know, this is God promising them a deliverance that no amount of effort can achieve, no amount of power can ascertain, and no amount of money can purchase. Nothing. But the question is, is how? How is this gonna come about? What is this gonna look like? How do we know if it's gonna be here? And then verse five answers that question of how. In verse five, Micah says, and he... Notice that, you might want to circle the word he, and he shall be our peace. He shall be their peace. This is such a simple statement, and yet it comes loaded with meaning. Notice the subject of the sentence is he. He is the subject of their peace. The point here is to show that in the midst of chaos, true peace is going to come from this king but more specifically he himself will not just usher in peace he will be peace he is peace now peace is kind of a tricky word isn't it you know if you've grown up in kind of modern culture you might know peace as being a welcome you know hey Peace, hope you're doing well, right? But there's also two other definitions of peace. The first one meaning peace from war, right? That there's this this idea that there is no more war. We're at peace, right? It's one way. The other way is this kind of idea of inner tranquility, right? Freedom from disturbance, and so to the context of what Micah is getting at here is he's talking about the latter two. He, he, he's talking about this idea that when this ma- Messiah comes, he's going to bring about peace from their surrounding enemies, certainly, but also he's going to usher in an inner peace, a deep-rooted peace, an a, a inner-centeredness, so to speak. That when he comes, he's not just gonna usher this in, but he himself is going to provide that in those who choose to follow him a particular kind of peace that the world has never known or seen on this side of the fall. You know, remember, Micah has just prophesied that they're gonna be going into exile. And so, on the one hand, he says, hey, listen, you're going into exile. But he's also promising a day of hope that while they're in exile, they can look forward to a day where this Messiah is gonna come and show up and usher in and bring their peace. But on the other hand, he's promising that even while they're in exile, even when their life doesn't necessarily look the way they think it should, he will be As a matter of fact, the promise of Micah 5 is that in moments of chaos and disorder, Christ himself is the subject of our peace. Christ himself is the subject of our peace. That's number four. Now, it's incredibly important that you hear that this morning because I think so often we get this mixed up. Don't we? So we think for whatever reason that peace can be bought. It can be earned. It can be achieved. But true, lasting peace doesn't come from how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't come from your nameplate at work. It's not gonna come from the desired family that you hope to have, that spouse, those kids, peace is not gonna come from that. Peace is not gonna come from success that is earned or achieved. It's not gonna come from the size of your house, the degrees you have, those diplomas that you have on the wall. Peace is not gonna come from the family that you have or don't have. Peace is not gonna come from health, Or a perceived way of life. Peace doesn't come from church attendance or involvement. Peace, true and lasting peace, comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. You will not have peace apart from Jesus. You will be chasing it, and you will be chasing it, and you will be chasing it, and when your bank account is empty, and when your house is empty and you have all this stuff and you think, wow, this was supposed to satisfy my heart, why am I still looking? Why am I still chasing? Why am I still empty? It's because you have a misplaced peace. You know, in Psalm 23, it's a very well-known psalm. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of the, the Bible. It's really a beautiful picture of this life of peace. As a matter of fact, here in a minute, I'm gonna read that over you. And I want you to listen to the words of Psalm 23, but I want you to listen to them with a different twist. As I'm reading these words, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Does this describe my life? Does this describe me Psalm 123, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it means I have everything that I need in him, there's nothing that I need, there's nothing that I want outside of him, he is all that I need, my heart dwells secure in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me by, beside still waters, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that a picture of your life? Is that a a picture of that deep peace that you have in your life? Because if it's not, If it's not, it's probably because like Israel, you're looking for peace in all of the wrong places. Do you have peace this morning? Or are you two on that hamster wheel just running and running and running and running and running and running, running, looking for that peace, hoping that this next thing is gonna satisfy you? Can I just tell you it won't? Can I love you enough to just say, hey, listen, not only are you not gonna find peace in those things, but in the effort of chasing them, it's destroying your soul. Peace will only be found in Christ and in him alone. This morning, I wanna remind you of the invitation that Jesus gives all of us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Here's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and hear this, and I will give you rest. Here's what Jesus is saying. Take a step toward me, and guess what? In return, I'll take a step toward you. And here's what you're gonna find when you do that. You're gonna find rest. Wouldn't rest be great? You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of saying when somebody asks me, hey, Logan, how are you? Oh, I'm just busy. You know, busyness is fine, but wouldn't it be great if you weren't in a rush, always? You weren't hustling and bustling, but your heart just dwelled secure. It just dwelt at rest. You didn't get too high, not too low you just experience a deep sense of rest. And I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about knowing your God and being known by him and that being your greatest ambition in life. Even as I say that, don't you feel your blood pressure just kind of going down a little bit? Being reminded that your peace doesn't come from what's underneath that Christmas tree. Or what you can give or you can't give to your kids this Christmas. Or kind of how things are going at work. Or maybe you're, maybe you're in the boat and, and you guys are trying to have kiddos and man it's just you're struggling to struggling to get pregnant and man you're, you're just you're frustrated and, and, and you want this good thing and you're pleading and you're asking for the Lord. Can I just extend peace to you? Just to say hey Even in that good gift of the Lord, you're not going to find peace. It's only going to come from him. Or maybe you're looking and you're asking God to heal you this Christmas. Say, God, heal me. Heal my body. I need it. Heal my brother, my sister, my spouse, my grandmother, grandfather, my kids. Listen, even in healing, it won't bring you peace The only thing, the only subject of our peace this morning is Christ and Him alone. I love the words of Eugene Peterson in reference to Matthew 28. He says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on life? He says, Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, walk with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to live freely and lightly? You know, there's a deep-seated peace there. It's a peace that the world can't offer you. Again, it doesn't matter what you have, what you don't have. It cannot, it will not, it will never satisfy you like Jesus. And so, the invitation of Matthew 11:28 this morning is for two particular groups of people in this room. It's for those who are believers. Listen, I get it. I've spent my life. Incredibly ambitious, longing for more, working hard, doing everything I can to get better. And, to, and, and listen, those things are great. But I'm telling you, there is something different about what Jesus has to offer you. And I am pleading with you that if you have never made him the subject of your peace, that you say to him today, Lord, I've been looking for this uh, all my life, but today, I'm making you the subject of my peace. I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna choose no greater ambition than to know you and to be known by you. I'm gonna allow you to transform my thinking. I'm gonna allow you to give me rest. I'm I'm not gonna run to a bottle. I'm not gonna run to a computer screen. I'm not gonna run to a, a, a spouse or to my kids or my grandkids for peace. I am gonna come to you. I'm gonna run to you for peace. That's the invitation. All you have to do is take a step towards him and his promise is to take a step towards you. Now for the unbeliever in the room, listen, I get it. If you've got some trouble with Christianity, I can understand why you would. But I'm telling you, you will not find peace apart from Jesus. You just won't, you won't do it. You you won't find it anywhere else on this earth. And so I'm pleading with you to make today the day where you say, you know what? I'm gonna begin a relationship with him. I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna invite him into my life. I'm gonna take him up on this Matthew 11, 28. You know, Jesus, Christmas is beautiful because it's Jesus is coming to this earth. But it doesn't just stop there, right? Jesus comes in the form of this helpless baby, God in the flesh. We're gonna talk about that uh, next week, God in the flesh, he comes to this earth and, and he grows up amongst us. That's what Emmanuel is. It says, God is with us. He's not indifferent to us, he's with us. He experiences the same pain you experience, the same suffering that you have felt. And yet he has walked the road and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Wow. God with you. You can find that in no other religion. You can't find it in money. You can't find that at the pot of the end of the rainbow. You can only find it in Him. And so I'm pleading with you to say yes to Him today. If you would love, if if you'd be interested in talking more about that, what that looks like, what it means, I'll I'll be right here at the end of the service. I'd love to talk with you. If you need prayer and you're just man, Logan, I need pre- I, I need peace in my life. I would love to pray with you. We've got a team at our Connection Central would love to pray with you this morning. But. My prayer all week has been, Lord, number one, give me that kind of peace. I want to walk in that peace. Give them that kind of peace, that they may have the peace that is so transforming that when people see you at work and at at family, you know, we're doing family here in the next couple of weeks, and, and when they see you in your neighborhood, they think, golly, why do they seem so centered in a world filled with chaos? And you will say, Jesus is the subject of my peace. Wow. It's transforming. You'll never be the same. And you will always want more of him instead of more of the world. Wow. That's the offer for you and for me this morning. Can we seek that together? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's seek that. Father, we need you. We want you. We seek that. Lord, I want your peace. Not the kind of peace that the world has to offer but Lord that deep centered peace Father there's many other religions that claim a peace but Father it's not true peace many will say that there are many roads that lead to you but Jesus is the only way He is the only true subject of peace. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give it to us this morning. God, I pray that as a church, together, we would take a step toward you. And then another step toward you. And another step toward you, knowing that you promised to take a step in return. And that at each step, God, we would find you more faithful. God, that we would find you more joyful. And that we would find you enough. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, you are enough for us. God, I do say, Father, this this morning that, God, that you would open up our eyes to see areas where we're looking for peace apart from you. You know, Adam and Eve were not much different. They, too, were, were looking for some kind of peace outside of you. God, I pray that you would show us those things and that you would call us back to your son. For those in the room who have never said, said yes to you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they do that, that they would truly experience your peace, the weight lifted up off of their shoulders and that they would run freely and lightly forever for all of eternity. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his peace. It's in his powerful and mighty name we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.